How's everybody doing? All right, all right, good morning, guys. So, a couple of things before we get started today. Um, One is I just wanted to thank you guys. I feel like I beat up on you sometimes and don't thank you enough, and I wanted to tell you thank you. Last weekend, we sold 900 shirts to raise money for Amelia's Closet, and so, yeah, that's that's $4,500 worth of T-shirts that we, we raise that money and we get to give that to Amelia's Closet, and so now all of your closets are gonna start looking like my closet. All I have is church shirts. Um, it's because when you start the church, you get them free, right? That's kind of like a rule we have around here. So whenever we do a new shirt, I'm like, cough it up, right? And so I get a free one, and, and um, my whole closet is just uh, black church shirts. So anyways, thank you guys for doing that. I want to encourage you guys, go back there to the back. Jody that started Amelia's Closet, I consider her a, uh, a good friend. I respect her immensely. Go back there and say hi to her and just shake her hand and maybe get to know a little bit about what she does. And um, she has a fantastic ministry that's helping out women in our community. So go back there, and um, if nothing else, just tell her thank you for what she's doing. She does a lot of hard work, and, and um, so uh, it's a wonderful organization. So the other thing is we are starting a new book of the Bible today, and it's uh, a fascinating book of the Bible. Very, very interesting. It's in the Old Testament. If you have a physical copy of the Bible, it's right after the book of Proverbs. It's right before the book of Isaiah. Very, very fascinating book of the Bible. And I'm going to give you guys a little bit of kind of background and history on the author of this, and then a little bit about the book, because if you don't know the context of this book, it can be taken way out of context, right? So when it opens up and it says everything is futile, if you just read that and you're like, Bible says everything's futile, let's run amok, right? Let's go out into the street and start some riots and steal some cars and you can take it way out of context. So we have to know what's going on before we jump into this book. So let me give you a little bit of background. First about the author. Solomon may be one of the most intriguing contributors to the Bible. Very, very fascinating man. He only lived to be 60 years old, was born in 991 BC, died in 931 BC. Some people argue if he even wrote this book of the Bible. I think it's very obvious when he says the son of David, king of Jerusalem. That means that this is Solomon, right? His dad was King David, probably the most famous king mentioned in the Bible. Solomon wrote the book of Song of Solomon, we talked about this last week, we've taught it twice, it's been extremely effective in this church. He wrote Song of Solomon when he was young. He more than likely wrote Proverbs when he was a middle-aged man. Uh, when I say middle-aged, he was probably in his 40s when he wrote that. And then he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. The Bible calls Solomon the wisest man that has ever lived. That's a pretty big statement. The wisest man that has ever lived. And the era where Solomon was leading the Jewish people was called the Golden Era, or the Golden Age, because it was probably the most affluent, the the wealthiest, and most influential time that the Jews ever had on earth. They had prosperity, they had worldwide influence, and it was all under King Solomon. So probably the most intriguing thing about Solomon, though, was the end of his life. Solomon didn't end very well. He was very wise, he started off strong, he had power, he had money, he had influence, but at the end of his life, he didn't use it very well. The Bible records that Solomon had 700 wives, right? Most of us are like, I'm just doing well with the one that I have, right? 700 wives, 300 concubines, we're not gonna get into that today. Allegiances (laughs) with countries that worshiped false gods. And the Bible records that at the end of Solomon's life, he wasn't 
wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. So he started off strong, but he didn't end strong. So a lot of people argue, they debate, will we see Solomon in heaven? Was Solomon saved? But we'll get to that here in a second, okay? Now, a little bit about this book of the Bible. This may be, maybe besides the book of Revelation, the most misunderstood book of the entire Bible. It definitely of the Old Testament. Very misunderstood. Because people read it and they see it as negative. And it's not negative. Some words that summarize this book of the Bible are comfort. We're not going to get that out of chapter 1. Dis- disillusionment. We will get that out of chapter 1. And warning. So these three words kind of make up the, the overarching feel of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is important because it tells us what we don't know. It tells us that we don't know it all. And and Solomon, being the the wisest man that's ever lived, he didn't know it all. So we are humbled when we read Ecclesiastes because if Solomon couldn't figure it all out, we're not going to figure it all out. And that's okay. So if you wanted to summarize this book of the Bible in kind of one sentence, it is about the futility of selfish pursuits and the bleakness of a life without God. It's basically, even if you achieve everything this world allows you to achieve, and you don't have God, it's pointless. It's meaningless. That's the point of this book of the Bible. So here's the last interesting thing. So though the Bible never claims, or never very specifically says, that Solomon repented for the evil he had done, it doesn't clearly say that. Most theologians believe that the book of Ecclesiastes was his repentance. That at the end of his life, he wrote this book of the Bible, and he's basically saying, I tried all the sects, I tried all the different religions, I had all the money, I had all the influence, I did everything that that the world had to offer, and it didn't work. And this is his book saying, I'm sorry. Now, I was researching a bunch of different theologians and their ideas on Ecclesiastes, and this one by G. Ketty, I thought this was, uh, it sounded like something like when you're watching like a, a YouTube trailer of a movie. I thought this, this synopsis of Ecclesiastes was pretty breathtaking. It called, it called uh, Ecclesiastes this, a divine bait and switch apologetic that carries the reader from the edge of hell to the threshold of heaven. That just makes you want to read it, right? That sounds awesome. So uh, it's a really, really good synopsis, and I thought that was a good way to kind of launch into this book. What we're going to talk about today, though, is this. Here's, our, here's kind of our point for today. And it's a, a very broad point, is that life is pointless without a relationship with God. Very straightforward. Life is pointless without a relationship with God, okay? So you should have got a notes handout at uh, either one of the entrances that you came into. We should have given you a notes handout. If you didn't get one of those by some crazy chance, um, all the screens have everything on there. If you have a smartphone, you can download the Experience Community app, click on service times, hit sermon notes. You have all the scripture uh, and all the notes right there as well. If you have a physical copy, we're in the Old Testament, right after the book of Proverbs, right before the book of Isaiah. A very short chapter today, so we'll go through it relatively quick, but we're going to ask ourselves some hard questions this morning, okay? And so we're going to have to be honest with ourselves this morning, right? So let me pray and we will jump into this. Okay, Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Just wanna tell you thank you, Lord. I love this church so much, God. This is a hardworking church. It's a benevolent and gracious church and I thank you for them, Lord. I pray, God, that you just keep your hands on us this morning. 
God, we pray not only for our church, we pray for every church in our community, that you would bless the leadership, bless the congregations, Lord, help them to grow. We pray for all the great nonprofits that we work with, Lord, specifically Amelia's Closet that we're working with this month and Jody and everything she's doing. God, bless her and bless that organization and help them to keep advancing the gospel through what they do, Lord. We love you, God. Thank you for your word. Lord, let it, let it really cut to the core of us today. We thank you, God. And uh, keep your hand on me as I teach, Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter one. I'm gonna read a little bit and I'll go back and break it down. Solomon says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility, everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. A little depressing, a very abrupt start. And right out of the gates, we get the theme of this book of the Bible, that a life without God is meaningless. It is bleak. It is dark. What Solomon is trying to do right out of the gates is he's trying to crush the notion that we can be content without a relationship with God. That's what he wants to crush. Look at how strong he is with his words. He uses a, a different variation of the word futile three times just in verse two. Absolute futility, absolute futility. It is absolutely futile. We get it, Solomon, right? Right out of the gates. Very, very strong with his words. But here's the thing about the book of Ecclesiastes, and here's where we're gonna have to be careful today. We have to approach this book with balance, and we have to approach this book in context. Here, here's what's dangerous about people when they read the Bible sometimes. If we take the Bible out of context, we can make the Bible say something that it's not trying to say. So again, if you just take verse two without any of the context around it, life is futile. Let's just, let's just go raise hell, right? Let's do whatever we wanna do. That's not what the Bible is saying at all. We should appreciate this life. We should appreciate the earth and the things in the earth. God gave us the earth to enjoy. We should live this life to the fullest. But what Solomon is saying is that even all the good things in this life, if we don't have God, if we don't have a relationship with the creator, it's empty. So here's the thing. It's not that we don't enjoy the good things of this life, that we don't enjoy life in general, but we have to understand who gives us those good things, that it all comes from God. Listen, everything we have, the money we make, the family we have, the marriage we have, the beautiful weather, the trees, the, the ocean, everything we have is because God gave us those things. 
And, and we didn't necessarily earn those things. Well, I worked hard. Well, God created your body to have the ability to work hard. God gave us everything good. The book of James says that. And so the trick is acknowledging that every good thing we have comes straight from the Lord. We're also gonna hear Solomon use this phrase a lot, under the sun, under the sun. This is basically another way of saying that everything is pointless. And so the beginning of this book seems depressing, but what Solomon is trying to get us to do is to ask the big questions. Well, if the things of this life are pointless, what does have a point? So if you think about it, life really is futile if there's nothing after this life. If there's nothing that comes after this, everything that we amass, everything that we collect, we're just gonna eventually lose. That does sound futile. So Solomon begs the question, this is very important, what is truly important to us? What truly matters? What should we be investing in? And then he contrasts humanity and nature. He uses a couple of different analogies uses the, the wind and he uses the earth and he uses the oceans. He uses all kinds of different things to compare how short our lives are to how long the earth has been around and will continue to be around. Now, here's the thing. The earth does not last forever. When he says that, he didn't mean that it literally lasts forever. We learn later on in the Bible that the earth and everything in it will pass away. God will create a new heaven and a new earth. What he's trying to show us is, is that our lives on this earth are short, and we need to live it to the best of our abilities. We're to use our time wisely. We're to invest in things that go beyond this life into eternity. That's what he's saying. But we don't like to think about that, do we? I'm not trying to be mean, but all of us are fighting death, aren't we? We think about our mortality and we try to exercise more and more and more. I'm trying to get back into that. Trying to exercise more and more. And, you know, we put on makeup and dye our hair when we see that one gray hair and we flip out. And I've already given up on that. And all these people just, we, we, we try so hard to fight our mortality. But the Bible says we're all going to die. Every single one of us in this room have an appointed time to die. The Bible says our life is like smoke. It appears and then it dissipates. The book of Proverbs, right, that Solomon also wrote, says that we're not even promised tomorrow. So the reason why Solomon uses this analogy of the sun is he's basically saying this. You can bet that the sun is going to rise tomorrow, but you can't bet that you're going to be alive to see it. Life is short. But here's the thing about that. If you're a Christian in this room, Christians should not be afraid of death. Now, listen, I'm a father. I have two little girls and a beautiful wife. I fear dying because I want to make sure my wife is taken care of and my kids have a father. There is that fear in me. But when it comes to me losing my life, as long as I have a relationship with God, the Bible says death has no sting for the believer. Man, if they crucify me, I just go straight to hang out with Jesus Christ. And then the Bible even says that I'm blessed if I'm martyred for God. So there should be no fear in death. The reason why the Christian should have no fear of our mortality is because we understand that we are immortal. We're not bodies with souls, we're souls with bodies, right? We live forever with Jesus Christ if we have a relationship with him. But back to the point. Solomon says the pursuit of the natural is wearisome. 
It wears us out. Look what he says. This is quite brilliant. Look at this. He says, the eye is never satisfied by seeing and the ear is never satisfied by hearing. What he means is no matter how much material stuff we possess, no, no matter how much pornography we look at, no matter how much affirmation we get from humanity, we're never gonna be satisfied because we're missing something. Without God, no matter how much pleasure, no, how, no matter how much affirmation, no, no matter how much fame and fortune, no matter how much we get, if God is not in the equation, we're empty. We're empty. It's not enough. We see it all the time in our culture, right? With the rich, the powerful, the famous. It's not enough. He says, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. There will be no remembrance by those who follow them. So this may be the most famous phrase that Solomon ever wrote. People use this phrase all the time and they don't even know that they're quoting the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun. One of the most famous phrases. Again, it's just another way of saying that life is pointless without God. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't new things. There are new innovations, right? Solomon didn't type this letter on his MacBook Pro. They didn't exist back then, right? He had to write it on parchment. So there are new things, the internet, cars, computers, these are new things. That's not what Solomon is talking about. What Solomon is saying is people have never changed and they never will change. They've always fallen to the same things. They've pursued the same things. The things that have tripped up humanity today are the th same things that tripped up humanity 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago in Solomon's case. Things like status and popularity, wealth, power, pleasure. Those have always been the things that have tripped us up. But what we've done is every culture repackages the good life differently. So every generation comes and we have this idea of the good life, right? If I just have that house, if I just have that car, if I just have that trophy wife or trophy husband, or if I just have this position or this title or whatever the case may be, we package this good life up. But the Bible even says that what good does it do for a man to, to get the entire world and lose his soul? What good is all of that if we accomplish all these things and there's no eternity for us? Again, without God, life is empty. Now take it from a man who knew. Solomon had all the money. He had all the women, quite literally, right? Had all the women, had all the influence. He had all these things. And he stepped back after having all the sex, all the intoxication, all the power, all the money. He had everything. And Solomon goes, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't fulfill me. Look in our day and age now. We read about people who are attractive. They're wealthy. They have all these things going on for them. And they get addicted to drugs because they're depressed. Or they blow their brains out or they ruin their marriages, or they ruin their kids, or whatever the case may be. They have everything that we think we want, the good life, and it hasn't worked. It hasn't fulfilled them. It wasn't enough. That's what Solomon is saying. 
Solomon is even saying our reputation is not enough. Even our legacy falls short. Now listen, the same man who said that also said in Proverbs that a good man leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren. So listen, a legacy does matter. To leave a good name for your children and your children's children, that is important. But what he is saying is, even if you have stadiums named after you, even if there's a Corey Trimble Avenue or a bronze statue or whatever the case may be, regardless of how many people remember your name, if you don't have a relationship with God, this earth is going to pass away and that name will pass away. That legacy will pass away. Listen, I'm not God. I don't know who goes to heaven and who doesn't, right? I think the Bible gives us a good barometer on how we can gauge people if they're living right or not, but I'm not, I'm not the judge. But when I was writing this, and this is gonna sound cheesy to you, I was thinking of David Bowie. I love David Bowie. Loved his music. My wife loves his music. My wife probably would have left me for Labyrinth era David Bowie, you know, like. We love David Bowie. Have all of his records. You know, my kids can sing, you know, like old David Bowie songs. Like, we love David Bowie. I don't know if David Bowie was saved. I don't know if he had a relationship with God. And so as much as I love his music and as much as it influenced a lot of other music that I love, as much joy as that music brings me when I listen to it in my car or in my home when I'm doing the dishes or whatever the case may be, what is all of that worth if David Bowie didn't go to heaven? What is that worth? Nothing. It's worth nothing. And so we often say these people's names, but if they didn't have a relationship with God, it was pointless. It didn't mean anything. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and I have found everything to be futile, the pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow, as knowledge increases, grief increases. So Solomon says, I applied my mind to explore everything under heaven. Not only did he try every kind of pleasure, intoxication, sex, all these things, he had also become extremely knowledgeable in foreign religions. He had studied other religions. He had studied arts, sciences, philosophy. Now here's the balance in this. Guys, there's nothing wrong with being educated. There's nothing wrong with knowing more about how the world works or knowing other cultures. Of course, I think you need to be careful when studying other religions. I have studied other religions. I have not practiced other religions, but, but, but Solomon would research and he would do all these things. So here's the thing. Education is not bad, but education without knowing where knowledge comes from is pointless. You guys ever known people who are extremely intelligent, but they didn't have a relationship with God. So they have extreme intelligence, but not a stick of wisdom, not a stick of it. P 
People can be intelligent, but apart from God, we cannot be truly wise. We don't know how to wield that intelligence. The education can become actually detrimental to us and not help us. So we often ask ourselves, what's the point? What is the meaning of this life? And without acknowledging that there is a, a greater, higher power, God, right? Without acknowledging that, there is no point to this life. It is only by acknowledging a personal God that we actually find purpose. Listen, without a higher morality, without a God that gives us definitive right and wrongs, this world might as well be anarchy. It might as, be, it might as well be do what you wanna do, right? Go nuts. If I like your car and I'm bigger than you, I just beat you up and take your car, right? That works for me. That we create our own levels of morality. But if we have no absolute, if we have no God above us, if we have nothing to look up to and to find a higher calling from, this life is crazy. It's chaos. It's anarchy. It serves no real purpose except to satisfy self. That's all it does. So we ask, what is the meaning of life? But that question doesn't make any sense if we don't acknowledge that there is a personal God. Solomon says it's like chasing the wind. It's like trying to catch something that you, you can't hold on to. When I was studying this book of the Bible, one of the theologians that I was reading says it's like if you take a toddler and put a toddler in front of a really strong fan that's blowing wind. They feel the force of the wind and because they feel this force, they try to grab it. They try to hold on to it, but it's impossible. That's what mankind does. Mankind feels the force of God because God is constantly knocking on the doors of our heart, trying to get our attention. So mankind feels that force. But because we think we're smarter than God or that there is no God, we neglect where the force comes from. So we keep trying to catch this feeling, but we can't. It's like trying to catch the wind. It's constantly moving and shifting. It's elusive. And so what's interesting about our culture is happiness continually changes. So in our culture, we do all these crazy things to try to find happiness and validation. And in 10 years later, it just changes, right? And hopefully we haven't done so much damage to ourselves that we can't come back. This is the worst example ever, but I'm gonna tell you to you because it's funny, right? My wife and I were going to Nashville for some reason. I hate going to Nashville. I-24, if, if, if for some reason I don't make it to heaven, my hell's just gonna be I-24, right? <laughs> I'm just on that forever. I hate going to Nashville. And so my wife and I are driving to Nashville for some reason, I can't remember why. And there's this billboard on I-24. I, I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but here it goes. There's this billboard on I-24 and I'm driving and it's for butt implants, right? <laughs> you guys probably, if you ride on I-24, you know, which, you know which billboard I'm talking about. It's huge and there's just a big butt on it. <laughs> and so we're driving to Nashville and I'm looking up and I'm like, it's $3,500 to make your butt bigger. And I was like, Alicia, I, did, I thought women didn't want big butts. And she's like, no, it's kind of cool to have a big butt now. And I'm like, wow. So like women are paying all this money to make their butts bigger. Well, what about when culture changes and men just are kind of over the big butt thing? Then, then what, right? Then you're kind of stuck with this, this butt. <laughs> but the moral of the story <laughs> is that culture changes on a dime. 
And we're literally cutting up our bodies to find some kind of validation. And that validation is just going to shift and change in a couple of years. It's really quite insane when you step back and look at it, isn't it? But that's what we do. We're chasing the wind. We're trying to hold on to something that we're never going to be able to hold on to. That's what we do. And the problem is this, is we can't fix ourselves. The idea that there is some kind of man-made utopia, the idea that mankind can get together and somehow fix all of our problems is a lie. It's a farce. Mankind is incapable of fixing itself. That's why Jesus came to earth the first time. Man, you guys have really screwed it up. I'm here to show you, even though God had already given humanity the right things to do, we have the Ten Commandments already. Jesus Christ himself came and he said, I'm gonna tell you face to face how to live. It wasn't enough that, I, that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. I'm gonna tell you face to face how you're supposed to live. And what did they do with Jesus? They killed him. So Jesus is gonna come back a second time because humanity's gonna continue to screw it up. So here's what we have to learn. And listen, I'm not trying to like grade at you or make you mad. There is no Republican party that's gonna save you. There's no Democratic party that's gonna save you. Communism's not gonna save you. Capitalism's not gonna save you. There's no philosophical answer that is going to make humanity good. The only thing that's going to fix us is Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. Hold, hold on a second. Hold on. You believe that, right? Yes. Seriously. Some of you are waiting for presidents or economical systems to save you. It's never worked in the history of humanity. It's never going to work. What's going to happen, according to the book of Revelation, is we're going to think a religious, charismatic leader or a politician is going to save us, and it is literally going to be the devil's henchmen. We need to make sure that we're focused on the right things. The only thing that's going to change the hearts of man is God. That's it. And we have to know that deep in our hearts, or we are going to get sidetracked, and it's going to cost us a lot. We need to know that. We also need to learn from, future, for, from past generations' mistakes. Verse 16 and 17, Solomon gives a resume. He says, I did it all. I tried it all. And it came up short. Even with all of his intelligence, it came up short. The Bible says that Solomon had 3,000 Proverbs memorized. The book of Proverbs is only 900 Proverbs. So this man was so intelligent. He had 3,000 pieces of wisdom just recorded in his mind to where he could spout them off. All of it came up short. All of it came up short. And what happened was this. This is very important. The wrong pursuits had very dire consequences for Solomon. Solomon says, I ran after wisdom and knowledge. And he says he ran after folly and madness. What is folly? Folly is poor choices. It's a lack of good sense that leads to poor choices. In our day and age, folly would be, uh, you know, I had 12 beers at the bar, got in my car, drove and got a DUI. That was a poor choice, led to a poor consequence, right? That's, that's folly. It's, uh, you know, I got caught up with this woman at work, cheated on my wife, ended up in divorce. That was a poor decision, a lack of good sense, and it led to folly, right? And then it says it led to madness. Madness is a step further. Madness is a boastful arrogance that sets oneself against God. Now look at this in the yellow and the orange. If we pursue the wrong things, not only will we make poor decisions that will have consequences on this earth, we may be forgiven of them, 
But if you get a woman pregnant out of wedlock, and it was, you know, I'm not saying a child is a mistake, but that action led to an unwanted pregnancy. God will forgive you of that, but there's still the question of what do we do with this child? There's still a ramification for that decision. So not only will we make poor decisions, if we're not careful, we will go mad, which means we will set ourselves against God. To set yourself against God is crazy. You're not going to win. I had a Jamaican pastor about 15 years ago, right after I'd first got saved. His name was Mike Mitchell from Brooklyn, New York. It's a Jamaican pastor. He came and he spoke at the Pentecostal church that I got saved in. I remember he, uh, he came, he has this thick Jamaican accent. And in the Pentecostal world, they would always title their sermons. You know, they would get up there, they'd read a couple of scripture, and the name of my sermon is this. And I remember so vividly, he taught a lesson called the insanity of sin. And Mike started, Pastor Mike started to tell us about how in Brooklyn, he'd have these, these beautiful women come to his office. Beautiful women who were addicted to meth. They were addicted to crack and cocaine. They'd given up everything, and he would get to know them. And he would find out that they were raised in good homes, Christian homes. They had good parents that worked hard and, and tried to put them through college. But somewhere down the line, they met a boy that wasn't a Christian. And this boy would start to get them hooked on drugs and start to prostitute them out on the streets of Brooklyn so they could get more drug money. And these girls looked sick and disgusting and they're getting prostituted out. And it hit Mike. Whenever we get wrapped up in sin, we do things that are absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. I've known it from my time here at the church. I've had people come in and they say, well, you know, like my secretary at work, I, I had sex with her one time, I lost my wife, I lost my children, I lost my business for one night of pleasure. That's insane, that's nuts. We have a culture now, and I'm not trying to get too graphic with you guys, we have a culture now to where young men, they can't even have sex with their wife because they're so addicted to, to looking at pornography on a screen that they would rather have something on a screen than the actual physical act. That's crazy. It's nuts and marriages are falling apart because of this. What happens is, not only do we make poor decisions when we're distant from God, we start to go a little mad, don't we? We start to make decisions, we start to live in such a way that is nuts if we pull ourselves back from it and we look at it, we say, that's crazy. You'd give up your marriage for 45 minutes of pleasure? You'd give up your kids? You'd give up your business? You'd give up all that for this? That's crazy. Beautiful young woman, you would give up your salvation and your health and your integrity and your purity for that guy? That's crazy, it's nuts. But here's the thing about sin. If we start to go down the road of sin, it will lead to madness. It will lead to insanity. We'll do things that are absolutely out of the question, uncalled for, nuts. So here's the thing. The Bible is full of balance. And when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we need to know context and we need to approach it with balance. Now, what I mean is this. Life is not futile, as long as we have God. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with you having a good job and making money or buying a nice home or driving a nice car. There's nothing wrong with any of these things, as long as we do it without sinning and as long as we do it for the right motives. But the only thing that can balance us out 
is the Holy Spirit of God. It's the only thing that can balance it out. The Holy Spirit of God gives us wisdom. It gives us discernment, the ability to know what I should do, what I shouldn't do. It gives us knowledge. It balances us out. We have to have the Holy Spirit. So let's ask a couple of questions before we part ways today. And I need you to be honest with yourself. The first one is this. What are you running after? What are you pursuing? If someone were to come up to you and say, hey, what's the definition? What's, what's the meaning of life, Corey? If you were honest, what would you say? Do you have an answer for that? What's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of your life? To climb the corporate ladder? To live in a certain neighborhood or look a certain way for men to lust after you or for women to want to be with you or whatever the case may be. What is the meaning of your life? What are you running after? Let's go a little bit deeper. Why are you running after those things? Why do you want to climb the corporate ladder? Why do you want to be the most attractive person in the office? Why do you just want to have money? Why do you pursue these things? Do you pursue these things because there's a, a lack of value in your life? You don't feel valued? Because maybe you've been abandoned as a child and you're trying to make up for that and get accolades from the people around you. Is it so you can feel smarter than everyone else in the room? Or you can have the biggest title? Is it because you're materialistic? We're being honest with ourselves today. Why do we run after the things we run after? What are we running after? Why are we running after them? Let's go deeper. As we pursue the things that we're running after, look, are we sacrificing things that last forever for things that only last for this lifetime? What does that mean? Guys, if you're in this room and you work hard, praise God. There's not enough men that work hard. I'm glad you work hard. If you're working 70 hours a week and your marriage is falling apart and your kids never see you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You're sacrificing the eternal things for the temporary things. If you're a mother in here and you're so consumed with your looks, right? Because you're getting older, maybe the hair's getting gray and the body's not what it used to be and you work out eight or nine times a week and you're doing it two or three hours a day and you're sacrificing time for your, from your children or from your husband or from your time with the Lord or from reading the Bible or from prayer. I don't care how good you look or how healthy you are, you're sacrificing the eternal for the temporary. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. If we're doing all the things of this life, even if they're good things, but it takes away from our time with the Lord, our time from the people that we love, we're sacrificing eternal things for temporary things, and those things aren't gonna last forever. They're gonna pass. It's not worth it. So the big question is this. Have the pursuit of those things given you the fulfillment that you wanted? Have they? Guys, I'll just let you into my life a little bit. I love old cars, love old cars. I'll get a, a, an old car, I'll have it for a couple of years, I'll do all the stuff that I wanna do to it, thinking that it's gonna somehow be like, this is it, this is the car, right? And after a couple of years, I'm like, that, that wasn't the car, I just want something else. It's not enough, it doesn't fulfill me. So I sell that car and I get another car, right? And I'm like that, and I'll get fixated on things. Anyone else do that? You get fixated on something, if I can just do this, if I can just live in this neighborhood or just have this or just drive this or whatever the case, I'll be okay. And then you get it and you're like, it's not what I thought it was gonna be. 
Because anything apart from God will leave you wanting. Anything apart from God will leave you dissatisfied. Do you know what our problem is? Please listen to me closely on this. You know what our problem is? We have been lied to. We have been deceived. We have been deceived to believe that our value is found in our looks, that our value is found in our bank account, that our value is found in our education, and all those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the lie is that our value is found on the work that we do, and it's not. Our value is found in the work that God has done for us. Our value is found not in how well we do in this life. Our value is found in the fact that we are made in the image of the creator God. Our value is found in the fact that God would give his only son to die for us when we were at our worst. We didn't do anything to earn God's grace. We didn't do anything to earn God's love. We didn't do anything to earn God's salvation. But our value is deeper than what we can do or what we have done. Our value is found in the fact that God has made us in his image and he loves us. I'm glad you work hard. I'm glad you're in good shape. I'm glad you're successful. All those things. But the pursuit of those things with an absence of God is pointless. It's meaningless. Have the things we've been running after given us the results that we have wanted? It's a good question. And we have to be honest with ourselves when we ask it. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you are in this room and um, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you're not a Christian. If you're in this room and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, Greg, who's one of our pastors, he's up here in the black Uganda t-shirt. If you have any questions for Greg about what does this church do what about God? If, they have, if you have any kind of questions, why don't you come up here and talk to Greg? You can ask him whatever you want to ask him. You're not going to hurt his feelings. You're not going to catch him off guard. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, if you have someone in your life you need prayer for, if you need prayer, anything you may need prayer for, please come up here and let a man or woman pray with you. The last thing that we offer is all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, we have communion. We have the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the wine. That reminds us that if, we have, if we're Christians in this room and maybe we have gotten sidetracked by the things of this life, maybe even if we do love God, maybe we've, we've been enticed by the job or the car or the house or the knowledge and maybe we have let the eternal things slip our own relationship with God, our relationship with our loved ones. The good news is all we have to do is ask God to forgive us. And if we ask for God to forgive us, we can take the body and the blood, we can remember that God loves us, that we're not loved because we're good, we're loved because he is good. And we can be reminded of that. Father, Lord, I love this church. I love everyone in this room, God. Lord, you know every hair on our head. You know every decision we're gonna make and that we've ever made. You know the depths of our heart. You know the depths of our mind. And you love us. Father, please remind us how much you love us. If we have gotten off track, forgive us. If we have pursued things that have not made us content, God, show us what we should truly pursue. Don't let us sacrifice 
eternal things for temporary things. Lord, we love you. Bless this, this group, God. Keep us strong until we meet again. Strengthen us, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.